welcome to Knoxville Chronicles, a podcast series produced by the Knoxville History Project, an educational nonprofit which researches and promotes the history and culture of Knoxville, Tennessee. The Hottest Day in the Immortal Kiosk On some dramatic days, one might almost wish there was some kind of monument to the weather, a monument to the meteorological moments worth remembering. There is one, in fact. It's the old, elegant weather kiosk, restored in recent years at the corner of Clinch Avenue and Market Street. It looks like something built for an exposition of the Beaux Arts era, but in fact it was originally installed in 1912, not long before Knoxville's gigantic and elegantly appointed National Conservation Exposition of 1913. The kiosk is painted mostly white, and you might guess that it's made out of wood, but punch it with your fist and you may regret it. It's made of iron, all 3,600 pounds of it. It was known in the early days as the kiosk, always capitalized. Sometimes newspapermen referred to it rather collegially as Mr. Kiosk. People used to gather around it in person to see what the federal weatherman had observed and what we could expect next. Checking on the weather was a social event. People would stop by, talk to strangers, and say, Boy, it's hot. So many people hung around it, they earned a nickname. They were known as the Kiosk Leaners. Today, the big relic is said to be one of America's only remnants of the weather kiosk era. It's a rarity. When people do wonder about the weather today, people glance at their phones, which they were glancing at anyway. When it's very hot, we may complain for a moment. Then we just go inside, where it's not only cool, but sometimes cold. From home to car to office, and from car to home, it's rather easy to forget about what it's even like outside. But back then, it got up to 101 degrees that year. Five years later, it got even hotter. At that point, Knoxville had had 100-degree heat only four times in its history. The last, in 1925, was 101.5, an all-time record most folks assumed wouldn't be broken in their lifetimes. That July day in 1930, a fellow came out to the corner of State and Cumberland in the bright sun, wearing an apron and a chef's hat, with a spatula and an egg. He cracked his egg not on the dirty pavement, but on a hot manhole cover. Maybe that was cheating, but it worked. The white went solid pretty quick. Dozens watched, and a newspaper photographer snapped a shot. Later, the man with the spatula said he wasn't all that hungry anyway, and left his egg to the masses. People remembered that week for decades to come. Knoxville was in the middle of a national heat wave that enveloped the Midwest and the Deep South. It had been hot for days, ever since the 4th of July. But on July 10th, it got up to 98 degrees. Then, cloudy skies and some showers brought it down to a milder high of 84 on Friday. On Saturday, the temperatures started rising early and kept rising. In those days, the Carter family often sang about keeping on the sunny side. It wasn't always good advice. A reporter noted that though thousands of people were shopping downtown that Saturday, the sunny sides of downtown's Knoxville streets were mostly deserted. In 1930, air conditioning was just a little more than a rumor. The Tennessee Theater, less than two years old, had some acquaintance with it. Always cool and comfortable, they claimed, without testimonials. 
Their newspaper advertisements spelled out Tennessee with frosty letters. The movie that evening was A Man from Wyoming, starring Gary Cooper. It wasn't a Western, but a World War romantic drama set in France. In honor of the heat wave, the News Sentinel gave away two free tickets every day. Others bought tickets just to cool off. The new Andrew Johnson Hotel was doing good business. Most of its rooms were far above the hot pavement. Restaurants advertised ice. Mr. Armetta's little ice cream factory in the Bowery did good business. Most offices didn't have air conditioning. Hardly any homes did. People had their fans and iced tea. They made do. Those who could afford a car drove up to the new Great Smoky Mountains National Park, where roads leading out of Knoxville were noticeably jammed. City crews drove around strewing sand on the streets. The sun was melting the tar on the asphalt and making it sticky. Cross it on foot and you might leave a shoe behind. Heat from the sidewalk was almost suffocating, reported the journal. Staying indoors was next to impossible and remaining in the shade gave very little relief. The sun's heated rays penetrated everything and very little comfort was to be had. In neighborhoods, people were out on their porches or under trees, trying in vain to get relief from the breeze which was not blowing. And never mind dreams of a weekend nap. Trying to sleep was useless. Whittle Springs Giant Swimming Pool registered the most swimmers at one time in its history. Fountain City Lake and Andrew Jackson Lake, its former and future name was Dead Horse Lake, were full of bathers. Some were almost completely full. All swimming pools, including the ones at the YMCA and YWCA, were uncomfortably crowded. Actual swimming was impossible. Knoxvillians were just standing in any pool that would allow them cheek to jowl to stay cool, or at least less hot. Tennis and croquet courts were abandoned. It was just too damn hot for that sort of thing. Miniature golf courses, the latest fad, were, if not completely deserted, scanty for a Saturday. It was noticeably hottest downtown. A young girl named Emma collapsed on Market Square, a victim of heat stroke. Numerous persons swooned in the crowded market district, reported the journal. Police reported that farmers seemed to have the hardest time of it. They speculated that that was because they were less used to it. They spent more time outside, maybe, they said. But no East Tennessee farm was as hot as downtown Knoxville, where the sun's heat soaked into the pavement and radiated. Mrs. Robert Weiss, Hall's resident and an officer for the Knox County Republican women, had plenty to worry about anyway, considering an already disastrous depression suggested a tough re-election campaign for the no-nonsense Republican president. She collapsed in her office at Republican Party headquarters, Market in Cumberland. Doctors said she had a mild heart attack, but she rallied quickly. Another familiar local politician, R.L. Scruggs, the middle-aged grocer who had won a close race for city council a few months before, collapsed in his grocery on Western Avenue and was prostrate for hours afterwards. Hubert Huff was the youngest weatherman at the U.S. weather station downtown at the old Brownlow building. Not well remembered today, the Brownlow was on the old northern section of Market Street across Wall Avenue from Market Square. Guys with seniority prefer not to work Saturdays, so Huff was in charge. He wasn't happy about it. He'd had the flu back in March and had been sick off and on for months. Today, he had a bad sore throat and what he called a cold on the hottest day. He probably should have called him sick, but the weather doesn't offer days off. He climbed up the stairs to do his duty. The official weather gathering station was on the seventh floor roof of the Brownlow. It was past 100 degrees by lunchtime. By three o'clock, it was up to 101.7. And for some reason it plunged to 100, but then it got back up to 101.7 and 101.8 by four o'clock. Despite the lateness of the day, the temperature kept rising. 
At 545, it hit 103.7 degrees. That number, sometimes rounded to 104, was called the 60-year record because it had been 60 years since the U.S. Weather Bureau started recording Knoxville's temperature. It stood as the official record, Knoxville's hottest day in history for more than 80 years. However, that seemed low compared to the heat of the streets. Some pedestrians said it had to be at least 140. In fact, a kiosk at Market & Clinch recorded a temperature of 112 degrees. That was what they called the street temperature, recording the radiating heat of Clinch and Market Streets. But it was Weather Bureau policy to record it in the shade on the roof of the Brownlow building. That's where Huff got that 103.7 reading that left some sufferers feeling shortchanged. A journal reporter wrote a tongue-in-cheek interview with the already historic monument, which he called John J. Kiosk. Some people you know can't ever figure out why I'm always saying that it's hotter than the weatherman says, Mr. Kiosk was quoted. Well, the weatherman, he's got all them funny contraptions of his up there on a roof, and here I am standing down here on the sidewalk. The sun begins to bear down and throw that heat up in my face, and I reflect it. Now don't you talk to me about the weather. I've been in this business a long time, and when I say it's so hot, it's so hot. And don't you, nor nobody else, say different. Then the reporter remarked, Mr. Kiaz bristled, harumphed, and sort of shifted his weight from one foot to the other. Then he offered an almost Taoist philosophy. My rules for success are very simple. Live a quiet life, never get excited about anything, always be where people can find you, and be ready to tell them what they want to know. Welcome showers that Sunday brought it all the way down to 71, almost chilly compared to the Saturday no one forgot. Meanwhile, changes were already afoot for the kiosk. There were plans for a new post office, a grand neoclassically modern place with pools out front and a promenade, or maybe just an expansion of the old custom house site to take up the whole block. Or, as it turned out to be the case, moving it to an impressive new marble building on Main Street. It came to pass, though, that after the kiosk's moment at the center of sweltering Knoxville's attention, federal officials decided a permanent weather station was no longer necessary. Technology had outmoded it. Everybody had radios now. Knoxville had three radio stations, and they reported the weather. And the kiosk's grandly decorative style was way out of fashion in the modern 30s. Soon after the hottest day, it leaked out that the kiosk would be decommissioned, perhaps moved to be used for some other purpose, or discarded for scrap. But Knoxvillians already had a sentimental attachment to it. An organization called the Loyal Sons of the Grand Old Kiosk Protective Association proposed that it be kept where it was. One letter writer, a citizen and a taxpayer, claimed that if they move it, it'll be over my dead body. Others proposed that it be refitted as a traffic signal at the troublesome intersection of Henley, Broadway, and Western, or that it be moved to the Farragut Hotel corner to be filled with apples to aid the jobless, or that it be refrigerated to vend soft drinks at the Caswell Park baseball field. One idea suggested it become a hot dog stand. One group proposed that in spite of its weight, or perhaps because of that, it be hauled to the top of Mount Leconte to be a landmark hikers could behold, to touch and photograph, to prove they'd made it. A letter writer, purportedly representing the Taxpayers League, suggested it be abandoned. They looked up the word kiosk in Webster's Dictionary, found it was a word for a Turkish summer house or pavilion, and that, if allowed to go on, the next thing we know, we will have harems in Knoxville, and where would the American home and our pure young women and manhood be then? You might think professional weathermen would be more reverent toward it. However, Hubert Huff, the young meteorological observer whose competing measurements made two blocks away become immortal, 
noted the kiosk would make a grand peanut vendor. Another U.S. Weather Bureau staffer, Sterling Bunch, recommended it ought to be fitted with a machine for telling fortunes. Then we could go to the kiosk, put in a penny, and find out what the future holds. Its own future held something to do with the future of some of its leaners. The government sold the kiosk to Greenwood Cemetery, east of Fountain City, for a dollar. There, for 70 years, it served as a notice board for announcing funerals. Early in this century, an effort by the late pharmaceutical executive and historical society Spud Albers brought it back where it belonged. Though recalled by very few who remembered its first incarnation, the kiosk had been back stand for more than 15 years now, though maybe not quite the object of urgent daily interest it was 90 years ago, when Knoxvillians, too hot to do anything else, crowded around it to confirm that yes, it really was 112 degrees on the street. Nowadays, the number one hottest day in Knoxville on record is no longer that day back in July 1930. More than a decade ago, on June 30, 2012, the National Weather Service reported a temperature of 105 degrees in Knoxville. It didn't take long to beat. The very next day, that all-time record was repeated. There was a front-page headline and a thin, dutiful story that was mostly regional, offering unremarkable interviews with the National Weather Service in Morristown and TVA. There were no reports of people suffering heat strokes or of overcrowded swimming pools. There were no man-on-the-street interviews, no observations of what people were doing to cope or running jokes. Did anyone fry an egg on the sidewalk? It's not been proven. If so, they kept rather quiet about it. Thank you for listening to Knoxville Chronicles. This story was written by Jack Neely and narrated by Richard Lee. Sound design and editing by Pete Carty. Theme song composed by Mike Stallings. For other podcasts and stories, please join us online at knoxvillehistoryproject.org or find us on your favorite podcast hosting platform. Funding for this project has been provided by Friends of the Knoxville History Project and Federal Award Number 21.027, awarded to the City of Knoxville by the U.S. Department of the Treasury and the Arts and Culture Alliance.